Thanks, Zoom. I love that. <laughs> I mean, it's good. Privacy concerns. Um, so we're going to do the, the intro thing and all, whatever, whatever. This is the, you all know how this works. This is the bit section. Um, but I don't want to m- make our guests sit through the bit. So before we do the whole spiel, Sarah Mars is here. Uh, she is a film critic, a fellow member of the Chicago Film Critics Association, and a really wonderful writer for Laney Gossip and other sites. Sarah, thank you for being here. We're going to talk about all kinds of good things. But first, Julie, I, I, I feel like, I feel like, I don't think an I told you so is appropriate. It is. Um, but, I do, but I do think there's like a bit of a, re- like I think you need to come clean to the, to the people who, uh, who heard you s- dismiss the potency of the hand flex into a microphone in this our year First things first. One. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't have anything. All right. <laughs> That's okay. Can record without it. This is, a, this is a rarity for me to have something. So you're you're in good company. You know what? I took that I took that out of the welcome email. You should put it back now in. I feel like I should put it back uh, in. Julie dissed. Julie. I watched it today. Julie's. I I did back diss to Julie's it. comeuppance. I did diss it. You know why? Because I missed it the first time around. Because Allison was right. I was taking a note. It's so fast. And if you're not watching it, you might miss it. So I rewatched the scene today, and I have to say, you were right. I was wrong. It was amazing. So much uh, was communicated in that 0.5 seconds of time. It was, it was fu- really good. And it, it was so good that I had to re-rent the movie to watch it. And then I said to Neil, hey, do you want to watch the second half since you didn't get to see it? And we're watching it the second half again after we record. <laughs> so he didn't watch this Because the second, I mean, I, I think this whole movie is great. But the second half is really the tits. So he didn't watch the second half nope. the first What half? I loved about the... Great. Uh, you know what? Welcome to Sickburn Jane slash Austin Austin slash whatever that Sickburn yeah, Jane. No, it's Sickburn Jane. Jane. I'm done it's pretending Sickburn. that we haven't changed the name. Welcome to Sickburn Jane. I'm Allison. I'm Julie. Hi. That's Janine. And as I said before, we are joined by very special guest Sarah Mars uh, for this <laughs> a, a hotly, hotly anticipated episode of the podcast in our KiraFest series, the HandFlex episode. All HandFlex, all the time. You might think there's only so much a person can say about like 39 seconds of film, and you would be wrong, but I'm sure we'll also talk about the look and about other really... I'm sure at some point we're going to talk about the library scene in oh, Atonement. Yeah. Like, we're going to well, talk about some hot You've, shit. You just reminded me that I want to talk shit. about it, so yeah. We're going to talk about that, too. <laughs> the green dress. You know what? The hand flex is the green dress of... Pre- no, that doesn't work. Uh, anyway, we are talking about the hand flex in Joe Wright's 2005 epic Pride and Prejudice, starring Kira Knightley and Matthew McFadden, otherwise known as Tom Wamsgans. Uh, and I interrupted Julie before when she was telling us about Neil watching the movie... Did you have anything no, else to add? No, just Besides, that, Allison, I'm so sorry for questioning your taste. Absolutely not. I will never apologize. I will say <laughs> that I was wrong. Um, but I rented the movie Can again. Can you say it just one more time? Allison, just, I was wrong. You were right. Thanks, yeah. Julie. It's a special Is moment. Is that okay? It's you got it? It's, so is that I on record? I, I, it's, yeah. I, I just want to make sure, uh, Amelia, when you're listening to this, Take that part mm-hmm. and cut it out and put it on social That's media, the pull quote. So, Great. Uh, I have two things that I want to share as a way of kicking off this, this conversation. Uh, the first is that 
uh, Sarah when she r responded to my call for a person to come talk about the hand flex um, said very specifically that she was delighted to talk about the Regency equivalent of fucking in the rain, which is when I knew that this was the perfect guest for this particular episode. The other is that I got a, uh, a tweet from someone. Now, I'm not going to remember. I'm going to stream, stream for it, scroll for it. Um, from a physical therapist who wanted to specify that it is not a hand flex. What? It is not a hand flex. It is. This would be a flex, I'm let guessing. Let me go. Is, this so is a, a clench. Is a flex a and this is, is a clench. This is a clench. This is a flex, like flexing yeah. your fingers, <sighs> right? It, or is she going to talk, say it's a flex of the arm? Because I guess technically it might be. Or is it, it might a be spasm a muscle. down here? A spasm. <laughs> oh, spasm, spasm of love. Of emotion that just pushed okay. out of his fingertips. Fuck yeah. That I is like what that. it was. So, <laughs> Alex Childs. Hi, I don't know if you listen to the pod, Alex. I don't know why it is that you follow me, but if it's you, if you listen to the pod, hello, uh, tweeted me and said, I hate to ruin the trademark because I, of course, did the Hanflex TM. But isn't that a hand extension? Okay, I looked closer. No motion at the wrist. It's all fingers, and they aren't flexing or extending. Okay. They are abducting away from each other. I knew my PT education oh. would come in handy someday. Ah, okay. No pun intended. are doing the Lord's work. They help people literally get back on their feet. I'm not detracting from physical therapists, but to quote John Mulaney, just because you're accurate does not mean you're interesting. Awesome. <laughs> this, oh. this, is, this is like the usage of the word literally. Like the hand flex is, it, it is literally a pop culture touchstone at this point. I mean, if you say pride and prejudice hand flex, everyone knows what you're talking about. So it you're might right. technically be an extension, but it's the hand flex. I mean, he's a decade too late to correct us. On this yeah. One. So... It's just not as catchy. It's like hand abduction doesn't roll oh. off the tongue nearly so well. Also, flex rhymes with yeah. sex. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. something there. And yeah. before we get too super deep in this, there. I did pull out my copy of Pride and Prejudice because when I was yes, rewatching this, I, I got through the Netherfield Ball and I thought there's something in the book because we very rarely hear from Darcy's perspective. Um, I think most notably it's when he writes the long letter about Wickham, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. there is a little bit, the first, I think it is the first time we actually hear from Darcy is at Netherfield when he has spent an evening in Elizabeth's company and he, as she leaves, he says he began to feel the danger of paying Elizabeth too much attention. And I think that moment when First of all, Matthew McFadden's performance as Darcy is not bad. It is great. It's a different tank than Colin Firth's. If you prefer Colin Firth, that's totally fine. But what McFadden is doing is completely legit. Um, I remember when this movie came out in 2005 and people were like hating that performance. And I'm like, no, he's just playing him as socially awkward. Like, it's fine. Um, but I think that moment with the hand flex is a physical expression of that line of Darcy realizing there's something there that I don't want to be there. That's a, that sounds so yes. on point. <laughs> That's exactly what I said to Neil right before we recorded when I explained to him that I was wrong about it and that the way that it's shot and the way that it's shown is him. It's like he touched her and was yeah. like, Oh no, it's, 
you can feel like this <laughs> totally the sinking feeling he must be having walking away of just like god please no <laughs> <laughs> not oh, this trash her? Yes. Her? <laughs> um, it's like it, it's like um what it always makes me think of is at the moment, always, what it currently makes me think of is at the moment I'm obsessed with the Sherry Thomas series, Lady Sherlock, which, uh, please read it. It's the best. If you think the name is dopey, you are correct. Doesn't matter. It's hot and funny and there are great ladies in it and I love it very much. Uh, and in it, often when our, like our, our main OTP uh, whenever they make physical contact, there's always like a tingle in their fingers or like a jolt of electricity all the way up their arm. And it makes me think of that, but it's also, it is a little bit like, God, get out. Mm. Get exactly. Out. Like, it's oh. like, it's like um, yeah. sexual zip zap zap. <laughs> they feel it in their fingers and then they feel it in their toes, you know? <laughs> oh, stop it. Well, it is, I mean, I know that Bridgerton is kind of recasting that era as like very sexy and sexual. And, People were definitely having sex in the Regency. This is the era of Sir Francis Dashwood and the Hellfire Club having their weird orgies in caves with nuns and stuff. So I don't want to be like... What's that part of history? Oh my goodness. I don't <laughs> oh my gosh. That. Do yourself a favor and fall down the Sir Francis Dashwood. Just, it, it's... I'm, people, I'm making a note right now. People were crazy. <laughs> they were so rich and so bored and they had nothing to do. So their orgies were like on point, super themed, really elaborate. He built caves on his country house property where they could go in and have these bizarre sex rituals. They were just, it's just bored yes. rich people entertaining themselves, but it's wow. wild to read about. Um, <laughs> Sorry, but, I derailed you. That's no, awesome. But Thank you. <laughs> really, like, realistically, if you're in the social strata of Elizabeth Bennett and Mr. Darcy, especially for Elizabeth because she... She's quite pretty. She's very smart, but she doesn't really have great family connections. Her family's not distinguished. Her mother is actually implied to be quite, not just vulgar, but possibly like trade class. And they don't really have any money. So really her virtue is her one bargaining chip. And the amount, what I, when I rewatched the movie, what I was really struck by is how focused Joe Wright's camera is on those tiny moments of physical interaction because that's all they're going to get. You know, their, their courtship is going to be short. I think the book lapses in about a year. Um, and the time that they actually spend together in that year is weeks. It's not much. Yeah, not It's long. really not much. And they have the one dance at the Netherfield Ball, this hand touch, and then when they reconnect at Pemberley, I mean, that's it. That's their whole courtship. So everything has to go into these little tiny moments. And if you look at the moment leading up to the hand flex, when she, he hands her up into the carriage, the way that they have shot that, Matthew McFadden's hand looks huge. And Kira Knightley's, because it's a little bit more forward in the camera, and Kira Knightley's looks very small. And so you get that like great masculine feminine contrast, but you also get the element of just this tiny little feather light moment that has an instant physical impact. And he has to base almost his entire physical attraction on just that. And so it's kind of, mm. I mean, it's like this great moment. We all like it's, gift to death on the internet and everybody, you know, jokes about it. But I think it is such a 
perfect encapsulation of how little they truly had to go on to form these attachments. Yeah, there's a reason. I mean, essentially, it's become a meme now. But the fact that it's meme status hasn't actually affected its potency, I think, is a testament to how good it is. The thing that I love about the filmmaking there, because I also just rewatched it, is that it's like it happens before either of them knows that it's happening. It's a surprise to both Bingley, of them, it feels like. Yeah, when we see Bingley hand Jane in, we see his hand and her hand and the whole, we see both of their torsos, their bodies, we see the entire exchange. With Lizzie, she like curtsies to Mr. Darcy very briefly, whips around, curtsies to Bingley, is getting into the carriage, obviously in a hurry. She just had that amazing salty exchange with Caroline, <laughs> yes. um, which I just, uh, which I just love. Very instructive. Um, and then when she turns around and is surprised, and then the hand is just there. Like she didn't reach for it, but we also don't see him reach for her hand. It's like their hands just come together. Uh, which is just, it's so cool. It's such a thoughtful, surprising, and obviously sexy piece of filmmaking. And man, does Kira Knightley sell the hell out of it. They both do. And the hand, the, the flex itself is obviously key. But her, the way that she just stares over her shoulder at him, like, what was that? What just happened to and me? And you know what? She it's can so stare because he's full on back to her because he is running <laughs> away from her. Running. Yeah, like he lifts her up. <laughs> It happens, and he's like deuces, and he just starts kind of running back he's into like, Netherfield, and like, that's when we see that because he's already like he's on a high rev. He's like, baby. Where's the nearest <laughs> pond? I need mm -hmm. to jump in. Yeah, I gotta go. <laughs> it's so funny, but yeah, it's. Sarah, I was very surprised at how impactful it was. So, thank you. I, you also, I know, I noticed you snuck another. I was wrong in there, and I really mm -hmm. appreciate that. Um, Sarah, do you remember the first time you saw this movie? Oh, sure. Um, I went to see it. I was in Los Angeles. I'm pretty sure I saw it at the Vista in Los Angeles. And it was a big theater, and it was largely full. And I remember the feeling in the audience being very split in the moment. Because it's about, I think, nine or so years from the BBC version, which is still very popular. And we're still in the moment of Colin Firth revisiting the character via Mark Darcy yeah. in Bridget Jones's Diary. Mm -hmm. Like, that was even more recent. So Colin Firth is still king of Darcy Mountain. And <laughs> this <laughs> movie comes That's my comes favorite live-action Disney like, movie. When he looked at that sun <laughs> where it touched all that he owned. It was great. <laughs> um, but it... I do remember people kind of just complaining about it coming out of the theater about like, Oh, I didn't like this. I didn't like this. And, um, I, when I got, I was in college at the time. So when I got back to school, like people in my lit classes were like, well, they gave the of mountains and men line to Mary Bennett. Why would she say that? I'm like, because she's a fucking killjoy. <laughs> like, like it's a, it's a killjoy line and she's a killjoy. So she says it. Um, but I really, I really liked it. Cause it's, it's very, um, I just like the windswept quality. I like how focused it is on English nature and that like pastoral life, which I mean, I think it's in the BBC version a little bit, but I think the BBC version is much more detailed on the social stuff, on the, the neighborhood interactions, whereas the Joe Wright version is very much more just like Elizabeth walking on these English moors and on this great cliff. And, you know, it's much more of that like, you, you get a sense of that pastoral life, which is on the precipice of disappearing because it's the 18 teens. The industrial revolution is knocking. 
So this idea of jaunting about the country in these carriages 20, 30 years from now, like Elizabeth's children, when they go visit places, they're going to go on trains. Hmm. So I think there's this kind of great beauty in this almost dying breath of the English nature that I really loved. Um, I'm also a sucker for country houses. So I was like, oh, Basildon Park and like Stowe, the gardens. Like <laughs> I just liked seeing and like Chatsworth, which was rumored to be the influence of Pemberley in real life. And they got to film at Chatsworth and you get those not only the great vista outside, but that incredible entrance hall with the frescoed ceilings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you get to see those houses because, like, obviously we don't have that in America. So I think we're just kind of innately culturally a little bit jealous of those great old houses. Oh, hell yes. Very explicitly thanks. Oh, yeah. So... But yeah, it was definitely like, I remember that the first time I saw it, I, I do appreciate that it's come back around to people being like, no, it's good. There's a lot to recommend it. And his performance is good. And his take on Darcy is valid. Um, because at the time, I just remember a lot of people complaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that still, I mean, we're finding that as we're going through our parade of Pride and Prejudice adaptations, it became very obvious early on that everybody has their favorite Pride and Prejudice and no other Pride and Prejudice can compare to that Pride and Prejudice, even if the others are good. Um, with the exception, of course, of which Wishbone, yeah, the perfect one, Pride and Prejudice. I, I mean, it perfect. is. That, Darcy. that was a really good Darcy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now I'm poor. Um, I... Uh, I'm really glad that people who love the miniseries so much, and I'm one of those people, uh, are finding a way to to see and appreciate all the really wonderful things in this movie. Because I actually think the two adaptations complement each other really well. They do. It, it really feels like Joe Wright was creating in reaction to mm. the BBC mm. version. Mm. Like the, It feels like those two works are very much in conversation, and they don't, they don't take anything away from each other. Um, so I, I, I'm also a huge fan of the BBC version. Like, I'm not saying I, I'm not. I'm also a person who has watched every Emma under the sun and likes <laughs> all of them uh, for different You're going to have to come back. We're doing Emma. <laughs> we're taking a break on Pride and Prejudice because we've just watched too many. So we're pausing Pride and Prejudice and moving on to Emma. So you will have to come back and talk to us about one of the Emmas. Uh, I'm so excited. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think... The, there's room for both. And I do think that in the books, I, I have to give credit to Matthew McFadden because when I was rereading, I do think in the book, Darcy, his pride, it doesn't come off. Like Colin Firth really played him haughty. He played him as a guy who knows that he's handsome, essentially that he's handsome, clever and rich. He plays him as the male Emma. Hmm. Um, Matthew McFadden in the book, I think you do get more of a sense that there's a little bit of awkwardness, that there's a little bit of social isolation that he's not someone who's used to having to initiate exchanges um, or maybe even keep them going. Like he's just not a good conversationalist, Um, at least until you get him down to like the one-on-one level at Rosings Park. And then he starts to shine. Um, Also Colonel Fitzwilliam, 100% playing matchmaker. There's also that part, um, also part two with uh, Darcy, who's he's experienced like Wickham. They don't, we don't explore Wickham too much in, in uh, this Joe Wright version, but um, he's had relationships like go sour, like very intimate relationships have gone sour. And that's like got to mess him up too, as far as that socially awkward, isolated feeling goes of being really rich. Like that's another piece I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah. And because of money. Mm-hmm. And so being very conscious that Elizabeth's family is not positioned very well 
and that money matters to them, that there is a materialism there that they can't deny. And so he has every reason to come at it with his guard up. Yeah, because yeah, Elizabeth could just be a Mary King. Could be. Yeah, I mean, Wickham, Wickham to Mary King, right? Just looking yeah. to Mary Rich. A fortune hunter. Although I think this, I think that just, there's one area that this movie does really well that is actually contradictory to uh, the text, which is they, um, there's never any doubt in my mind that any of Elizabeth's actions could possibly be seen by Darcy as being flirtatious um, or that he she is encouraging his attentions because it's, she's so openly antagonistic um, and it's all about the chemistry. Yeah, the chemistry, as the they say in guys Between them, the friction. Yes. Yeah. Which they do the have yeah. very much. Oh, mm-hmm. the the oh. scene in the rain when he his oh. first proposal and they're almost kissing. They almost they're made out even though she said no. And closer, <laughs> you know, like that's a very sexy moment too. Um, mm-hmm. But no, I agree with the the text is it definitely reads in the book when she sees Pemberley, Elizabeth starts changing that laugh her too. So <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah. And in the movie, I think you get more of a sense that there is an initial, innate, undeniable attraction. And that Pemberley in the movie is more like, oh, of <laughs> fucking course. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, she's, like she's looking for a reason to, re- like she's looking for reasons to cling to her first negative impression. Like she's really like something here has to be terrible. But no, the house is fucking gorgeous and his sister is great and his housekeeper loves him and it's like god damn it whereas in the book it's a little more um there's a slight mercenary quality Mm -hmm. in the book um that i don't think is present in the movie at all Mm -hmm. Um, yeah yeah i agree i think hmm. that we get sort of two reactions to Pemberley as new information, as opposed to uh, sort of the one long complicated reaction that we get in the miniseries, where it's like it's a little bit mercenary and a little bit remorseful and just like complicated, and she feels ashamed for being there and all of that. But it's it's um, colored sort of with one brush. But here we get the like, but he's so rich and the laughing and all of the awkwardness at the beginning. And then when she's wandering around, it feels so much more invasive. Um, it feels, and not cr- not cruelly invasive, but like she's really seeing what he's like because the house is an expression of who he is, as opposed to the house is an expression of his wealth, mm-hmm. which I think is really great and smart. That scene, it's so hot when she's looking through the door and he looks up and they make eye contact and she runs away. I love it. We, we had that conversation about rom-coms as, you know, as pertains to Pride and Prejudice and all that jazz. Um, I wonder if this movie is informed by the rom-com concept and that's why we're getting that vibe of like the electricity is already there the chemistry is already there and, and it's not so much true to the text in that mercenary-esque kind of quality to it i wonder if that's also a component here i felt like the one thing that i can take away from this adaptation is that joe wright decided he didn't give a fuck about anything but darcy yeah. and elizabeth and that he was really going to spend his time focusing on their chemistry, what it means for them to meet, what it feels like. I think the nature aspect of it is kind of tied up in that too. And I think it's just like, Mm -hmm. it is a romance. It's way more of a romance than a social Mm. satire. 
Um, yeah. So maybe, but I mean, it's not. I I'm just gonna say it's not as funny. Uh, I, I think he it's a little bit darker, and that's fine because it's a grand romance and it's full of explosions and like we touch each other and we both come like oh, <laughs> pandemic's been rough. But but like I mean, I love Brenda Blethyn's performance, but Mrs. Bennett isn't very funny here. She's just more of a real kind of terrible mom, and like Mr. Collins isn't she very does funny. Throw wine on some or ice cream is it ice cream that she throws on someone when she's doing she's in that incredible everybody's wasted at the ball scene she's drunk and she's eating like a parfait and she flicks it yeah (laughs) (laughs) well there's there's so much about the actual text of Pride and Prejudice that people still heatedly debate today of how much is this novel instructional to young because you know kind of way back 200 years ago, this would have been kind of marketed. I think even one of the contemporary reviews of Pride and Prejudice notes specifically that it is like a good guide for young ladies of how to conduct themselves. Mm. And so there's like how much of it is meant like that, how much of it is Jane Austen sort of doing her own wish fulfillment, essentially, like all of her stories are kind of Cinderella stories, this one more than almost any other. Mm. Um, and I, I do think Joe Wright jettisons a lot of that and just does focus on the relationship, which kind of gives it that rom-com flavor of, like, Pemberley's just another character in the story. Like, it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, everything is, everything is sort of color for that yeah. relationship. And everything is, everything is designed to contrast. I will argue Tom Hollander as Mr. Collins, I think he's hilarious. <sighs> I think he's one of the best of the oh. silly vicars that have been committed to film for Jane Austen. Cause he's, he's so (laughs) painfully awkward. He is like, he's, Oh my God. It's just so. And in that moment when he says like, um, when he proposes to Elizabeth and he's like, I I have to believe this is like one of the little games that females play or something. And it's just like, Oh my God, he's such a mean (laughs) self. Like it's just, (laughs) that is true. That's very true. Very true. He is. He's, he's a comment section. Come to life. Walking around. Yeah. (laughs) What a, um, what, if we are talking about sort of the pantheon of what you might call hand flex moments of these sort of, um, incredibly romantic, um, obviously sexual instances on film where nothing that is happening is actually all that explicit. Um, I feel like I'm curious what else you would put in that museum and the hand for everybody, the hand flex museum of cinematic uh, uh, nonsense and excellence. Baz Luhrmann, Romeo and Juliet. The first time they see each other through the aquarium. Yes. 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 Tom Cruise is walking around the fountain. That's what? interesting because he's so I know, asexual but it has a in very, those movies. That particular movie he has a special is. place in my heart because it is so impactful. And when I saw it in the, because there was it was John Woo and there was fl- doves flying everywhere and it was very slow motion. But um, when I saw it in the theater, there was this man sitting two ro- two seats over from me, just laughing his fucking head off. And I cannot get that image out of my head. <laughs> it's very impactful, even without that laughter. I think that was a really good moment. Similar, but not as great as the Romeo and Juliet. Mine would be the 
what do you call it when there's a whole section of film before the credits? Preamble. Is is that really what it's called? Like pre-credits, whatever. Mine would be the the pre-credit prologue, maybe. Yeah, of uh, Raising Arizona, (laughs) where he keeps getting arrested, and she's there taking his picture every time, and then he sees her crying, and he gets really upset that somebody would leave her. And then he comes back again and again and again until they finally get married. So that that first like five minutes of the film before the credits, where he's like falling in love with her through uh, rap sheets. <laughs> I like that one. Um, I you know had a really good one, but now because of a conversation that Julie and I had yesterday, all I can think about is Kevin Costner and Bull Durham. Ooh. Um, yeah, yelling about all of the things that he likes while Susan Sarandon just sort of gapes at him. Uh, I love that. I love a grandstanding monologue. There, I mean, there's also the stockings, but the stockings, that's explicit. So mm-hmm. it's the style. I mean, it is like, obviously, he's good with his fingers as like a, he's good with his fingers. <laughs> but, Hint, ladies. You know, but, w- but her thigh is involved. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so we couldn't really call it chaste. Mm-hmm. Um, um I have a bunch of like we have, well, we have to do our traditional um, someone is talking to us about Pride and Prejudice questions, so I want to get those in. But before we do that, uh, is there anything else that we want to say about this moment? Because we could go like another forty minutes, <laughs> um, but I promised we would keep this uh, thirty-nine seconds of film to an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it was good. It's electrifying. I, that's it. You know. Yeah. Thank it's electric, as John Travolta would say. <laughs> uh, we've now worked in Guys and Dolls and Grease, um, so now I just need to sneak in Annie to get the trifecta. I did love. I did Love Actually. Um, I was, that was pretty good but yeah, but Love Actually is not there's musical. Plenty of sort going of. on in that movie. No, it is a movie with music. Mm-hmm. It is not right, a musical. Right. If you I think that, that I feel it in my finger. If that shit elevates that's an elevated emotion you are wrong You're right. that is that is the opposite it is the opposite with bad taste so <laughs> <laughs> no that's just that's just you just don't you just don't know you just don't know also what a true. musical is Aaron it's fine um okay Sarah loads of important questions first of all if you have one PP which is yours which is your pride and prejudice oh that's tough that's tough um, it, it might be this one for two reasons. One, it's, it's two hours. You can watch it in one sitting. The mm-hmm. mini series, you can't, I mean, you can, <laughs> but you're there all night. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can, and I have. <laughs> um, and will again, mm-hmm. but it's also just, I think that Kira Knightley is the best Elizabeth Bennett we've had, maybe the definitive, because notably no one's done a period adaptation of Pride and Prejudice since this. Um, and I, I think my mom actually put it really well. She actually really loves Pride and Prejudice, but she said, uh, Colin Firth's Darcy, she said, if you could make a movie with Colin Firth's Darcy and Kira Knightley's Elizabeth, that's like the perfect combination. Um, yeah. And uh, the ages don't work out at all. But <laughs> <laughs> and but. I want to go on record as saying if they f- if somebody does some 
crazy CGI nonsense to make this happen. Uh, that's going to be bad. That's going to be a monstrosity. <laughs> Don't do that. Let it live in your yeah. Mind. No, just just let it just let it live in your mind. But um, <laughs> I do think she is my favorite Elizabeth, and obviously Pride and Prejudice. For as big a deal as everyone makes about Darcy, it lives and dies on Elizabeth. Yeah, like you have to understand why this guy who could literally have anybody would settle for someone who does nothing for him except love, which at the time, like it's all so romantic, but like at the time wasn't like the number one consideration for marriage. So, yeah. um, yeah, like, it'd be it, this one. When Jane says, I would so very much like to marry for love. And it's like a big confession, like a tee hee hee. It's a secret. I would like to marry for love. Poor Jane. Um, Hey, speaking of Jane, if you have never listened, I've, I'm saying this to Sarah. We should just do this off mic, but I'm doing it anyway. Too bad. It's already started. If you've never listened to the Rosamund Pike audiobook of Pride and Prejudice, it is absolutely worth a listen because she is also an excellent Elizabeth Bennett and oh, an excellent I, Mr. Collins. I, I, <laughs> that's she, awesome. She, she was a great Jane, but I, I can absolutely see a version where she would be a stunning Elizabeth. I think the only reason she wasn't Elizabeth is because she has big blue eyes. And blonde it's hair. Eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, but you can dye that. Yeah, hair. that's true. Um, yeah. But Elizabeth is specifically Jane is supposed to be blonde and fair and blue eyed, and Elizabeth is supposed to be not those things. Mm-hmm. So you have yeah. to cast that contrast. Um, but yeah, no, she's. I'm, oh, and even with the the hand flex in this movie, the thing that no one does talk about, and sometimes I'm mystified as to why, because it's very cute, is the moment when um, they're at the Netherfield ball and Bingley is just following Jane, and he and reaches he out her and like touches her dress. It's so sweet um and i was like and like that's a really cute moment and he's just so gone for her yeah yeah he's such a little golden retriever (laughs) so sweet um okay so uh favorite non lizzie or jane bennett sister so and by that i mean like depiction like the miniseries mary or pride and prejudice and zombies lydia or etc etc Gosh, you know, my favorite non-Jane or or Elizabeth sister is always Lydia because she stirs the pot, because she makes things happen and she almost ruins her family (laughs) 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 and seems to have genuinely. And this is the thing that I really don't believe. And I'm actually trying to think I haven't seen the miniseries in a while. I don't think they really hit that button either. I do not believe Lydia didn't understand what she was doing when she ran away. Uh, that their social, their social life is so constricted. It's so restrictive. Those girls are raised knowing the rules. And I just can't believe that she would be so clueless. I can believe that when she finds out they're getting married, that Mrs. Bennett would just sort of erase the negativity from her mind and just focus on the outcome. I can totally mm-hmm. believe that. But I always kind of am lacking this feeling of like the extremely narrow miss the Bennett's have with utter ruination that they never would have recovered from. Um, and I, but I love Lydia cause she's just so terrible. She's such an awful person. Um, you just want to push her into a ditch <laughs> and, <laughs> and Jenna Malone, like she really captures that like feeling of God, somebody just push her like in the favorite when Nicholas Holt pushes Emma stone down stone. the hill. It's like, just that just push her down a hill. <laughs> like, <laughs> All right, great. Um, favorite Darcy? Colin Firth. I mean, I, I like what Matthew McFadden does. I will defend it. The hand flex is a classic moment, but I just, Colin Firth is just, 
everything like hot and haughty about Regency romance is like in him. And I feel like every man who comes after him from that moment through Bridgerton, they are all doing something either in the shadow of or in response to him, which is why the next time they do Pride and Prejudice, he's probably too old now. Mr. Bennett, never got a, get him in there. Well, no, the fact that we never got a Tom Hiddleston Darcy. Oh, oh. Because I feel like he's the only natural heir to Colin Firth in terms of just the haughtiness that he can yeah. project. Oh, that would never have occurred to me. And that's great. And, we're and probably, it would be funny. Yeah, and he's probably too old now, so we're yeah. probably not going to see it. Did we at some like, point <laughs> try to cast all of the members of Pride and Prejudice with Toms? Yes, and I think it was like <laughs> off mic and we yeah. were camping and Tom Hiddleston was either Darcy or Mr. Yeah. Collins. I can't we remember. Did Tom I don't Holland think I was as, there I for the Is what we gave Tom Hom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he could yeah well, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can see Tom Holland as Bingley for sure because totally he's got that puppy And then Tom quality. Hanks, I think we totally gave mm-hmm. to Mr. Bennett. Gave him Mr. Bennett. Yeah, totally. Yeah, duh. Um, yeah. yeah. Everybody's dad. Everybody's uh, dad. Yeah. We we yeah. Th- we don't have to do this again, but but we did spend about an hour and a half on this, and we I thought we did pretty well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, where do we put Tom Hardy? Um, Wickham. Wickham. You put him in Wuthering Heights where he belongs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's he's a Bronte boy. Yeah. He's not an he's Austin fucking man. He's not an Austin. He's not an Austin. Boy. Yeah. <laughs> he's unavailable. Yeah. He's committed elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but he would be he would be Wickham. He would yeah. be a great cad. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm based on what you said earlier. I'm guessing maybe Emma is your favorite Austin. Um, I go back and forth. It really depends on my mood. The older I get, the more I appreciate Persuasion. When I first read Persuasion, I was like, hate it. And now that I'm like pushing forty, <laughs> I'm like, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Uh, our dueling adaptations of Persuasion we're getting. Well, I'm, uh, my brain doesn't work anymore because of the pandemic. It's all just a jumbled mess. Um, Here too. But isn't, isn't one contemporary and one is period? Is that so? I, I know that the Dakota Johnson one is period. And I guess I just assumed that the Sarah Snook one was also period, but maybe I don't know. I feel like one of them was supposed to be, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm happy that book is getting its due. It's not frequently adapted. Um, cause it's kind of a bummer of a story, yeah. you know, like it, it, <laughs> it, it's not like it's a great, but I do love it because Captain Wentworth is basically a pirate. <laughs> so, <laughs> which is actually where we cast Tom Hardy. Um, is <laughs> yeah, there yeah. Oh, he would be a good Captain Wentworth as well. Although Henry Golding is Dakota mm. Johnson's Wentworth, isn't he? Isn't think that so. mm-hmm. Henry Golding? That which is a good piece of casting because he's <laughs> super hot. <laughs> yes, and he is. And Wentworth hot. Wentworth is like, I think he's it's been a minute since I've read Persuasion, but in my mind he stands out as like he's the most openly dreamboaty of the Austin heroes. Like he's just a super handsome dude who just you know, I think he was a younger son, wasn't he? He just didn't have any money at the time. Mm-hmm. And then he went mm-hmm. and basically was a pirate and made a fortune. So good for him. <laughs> And then came back and was kind of a jerk. Yeah, got nagged her all over the place. The but then, I don't know. But he got his shit together. Mm-hmm. And also made sure she had a carriage so she didn't have to walk home and when she I was have tired. To say, like, as someone who gets nerds out on history and almost was a historian, he doesn't just get her a carriage. He gets her the fucking Porsche 911 <laughs> carriages. <laughs> like, it's 
a very sporty, very fancy carriage. So awesome. Incredible. All right. This is the most important one of all of the Austin buttholes. And there are so many uh, of all we could restrict it to pride and prejudice if you prejudice if you want, since you since hopefully you'll come back and talk to us about Emma. So just pride and prejudice. Of all the many buttholes in Pride and Prejudice, because wow, there are so many. We didn't even talk about Judy Dench. Uh, who is your favorite Pride and Prejudice butthole? I mean, Lady Catherine's up there, isn't she? Guilt as a butthole. I always try. Mm-hmm. I always try and extrapolate Darcy's family. I have this long, ongoing conversation with a friend of mine who's an historian about two things, three things actually. Who are the Darcy's <laughs> like in, in society? Who are they? You know, who's who are they comparable to and from real history? Because they talk they're so rich and big landowners, but no title. So I'm like, so what happened there? Like, who are the Darcy's? Why don't they have a title? I'm pretty sure it's just so that Jane Austen can get in that line. He is a gentleman. I am a gentleman's daughter. So far, we are equal. But he, he should have a title. Yeah. Um, just given his standing, he, he should. So I'm kind of like, well, who are the Darcy's? What happened to them? Like, where did they fall out of favor and maybe have someone get their head cut off and they lost it that way? Or like, what happened? Um, how rich are, how rich is Mr. Darcy? Like trying to understand in modern day terms, how rich is 10,000 a year? I'm, a, I'm obsessed with that. Um, but also trying to extrapolate what was Lady Anne Darcy like, given that all we know are her son and daughter who seem pretty cool and her sister who's <laughs> awful. Awful. It's like, what was she like? <laughs> like, is Lady Catherine the black sheep of the family or was Anne the outlier? Was Anne the one who was normal and fine? And Lady Catherine is representative of that family. Because for some reason, there has to be something in Darcy that he can accept the Bennets as they are, you know, that when he finally kind of has his come to Jesus moment of like, I genuinely love her. My life will be worse without her. I'm rich enough for both of us. Um, that he can sort of find ground with her family. I'm like, is it because his mother's family is just a nightmare? And so there's a part of him that's like, I, I love, get it. I, I noticed you take the magic <laughs> out of your questions, but it does seem like you're, you're wishing there would be a prequel. Kind of idea. <laughs> I, I would be, I would be very interested in the Mister Darcy Lady mm. Anne courtship. Like, was I, that a love match? Like, were they in love, and it just worked out because they were both rich? Like, I've I would read be- a lot of Pride and Prejudice alts, and uh, often that relationship is depicted as being uh, totally mercenary and that they didn't love each other at all. I just don't think that could be right because Darcy yeah, how and you Georgiana, end up with those kids then? you wouldn't end up with Darcy and Georgiana if it was totally mercenary because the Bennett marriage is, it's not mercenary for money because Mr. Bennett married a woman with no money. Um, but it was a marriage of passion. He was taken in by her beauty and there's no real, true affection that lingers it's more explicit in the book i think the the oh five movie is pretty generous to that relationship Agreed. of suggesting there's still yeah. some some friendly feeling there in the book it's pretty clear there's not and in the bbc miniseries i think it's more on the edge of the bloom is thoroughly off this rose mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but you see the bennett sisters are basically feral like mm-hmm. 
it's a miracle that Jane and Elizabeth are as sensible as they are. Yes. Because the rest <laughs> of them aren't. Um, and I think if the, if the Darcy marriage was not friendly, at least if there was no affection, Darcy and Georgiana would not be as affectionate with each other as they are. And Darcy would not be so conscious of caring for his sister when he's left. We get a guardian. picture too of Elder mm-hmm. Darcy through um, the story of Wickham and you know how he was connected to the family. And even though Wickham gives us a weird version of that story, we get a sense that Elder Darcy was a man of conscience. Conscience. That word now feels mm-hmm. weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. generous yes. and a terrible judge. Of <laughs> yeah, terrible judge. Well, yeah, of if, <laughs> he he really Wickham really could have like made his fortune mm-hmm. through the Darcy largesse if he'd been even halfway decent. Um, but that's the thing. It almost seems like, I mean, I guess you could read in, you could read something about the elder Darcy maybe having this slight blind spot for how people really are. So you could think, well, maybe he didn't quite see his wife for who she really was. But I just don't think Darcy and Georgiana yeah. turn out as well as they do if that's mm. an unaffectionate marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's an unaffectionate marriage at the Bennett household. And those kids are rocker. just a mess. <laughs> I mean, marry all by herself. Marry, marry quite But I do... I do appreciate in this movie that there is a strong thread of Mary's interested in Mr. Collins. Yeah. And that if her mother wasn't so dumb, she could have promoted that match. Cause Collins was there to like sort of keep it in the family essentially, mm-hmm. you know? So if they'd pushed Mary a little bit, it's like, you probably could have kept Longbourn in the family. Um, but she just, Mrs. Bennett has no sense, so. Yeah. She gave up on Mary a long time ago. Like, she doesn't even see Mary as an option anymore. <laughs> just like, nothing, <laughs> blind. Yeah. <laughs> Classic middle child. Mm-hmm. Oh, Mary. All right, well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining this us. This was great. This was everything that I dreamed it I would be. I actually have a question for you guys. Because yes. yeah, you please. mentioned it, and it made me think about it. Um, my favorite of the Pride and Prejudice alts is Death Comes to Pemberley. So what is your favorite alternate version of Pride and Prejudice? I mean, I, there's, a, there's a little um, Lydia novella called The Bad Miss Bennett that I just enjoyed so much. Um, but I honestly think that it's the TV adaptation of Death Comes to Pemberley specifically because... Jenna so Coleman good. is so good. She is. Um, Jenna Coleman is like unbelievably good as Lydia. So I think she might be my favorite most, Lydia. It's the, I think the most interesting version of Lydia. Although I also really love Jenna Malone. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So I think I think that I think it might be Death Comes to Pemberley. Me too. Based on what we watched, uh, Death Comes to Pemberley is definitely the most compelling and well acted. Like. Oh, and there's a book, Elizabeth and Darcy, that I really liked a lot. There's a sequel that I have not read, um, and um, I really liked that. Uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, of course. Book or movie? Because that movie is just ridiculous, and I haven't read the book, but I know the book is re- is much better. <laughs> <laughs> the book is better than the movie. The book you haven't read. The book is better. And I'm saying this because they had the it best ex- explanation of economics. Well, they just breed faster than we do. They can make more. It was a good combination. I'm just, I'm, I'm tired. Janine's an economist, so it is very on brand for him to remember that from yeah. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Of oh, all well, the it's, things. At some point, can we talk about I'll how fi- rich I'm, Darcy I should figure might that be? out. That's been like on the tip of my like mind as well, so I'm into it. 
Mm-hmm. You know what? Honestly, if that is a thing that you want to talk about, when we come back to Pride and Prejudice, I would very gladly listen to the two Look, of you figure out how rich Darcy is for notes. hours. <laughs> I have notes. <laughs> it's going to happen. It's going to happen. That's awesome. I'm what trying about you? What's your favorite Pride and Prejudice alt? Um, it's it's Death Comes to Pemberley. Um, I just I like the concept of Lydia and Wickham being revisited upon Darcy and Elizabeth down the line and and just the stress and tension that that because you want to assume the happy ending you want to assume everything's fine and like Mr. Darcy says they have all the carriages in the world and whatnot um but you know it's gonna be tough like she didn't change social class technically but economically, she made a huge leap. And that's such, a, again, that world is so restrictive and it's so built on these rules. And you know she's not just making friends left and right in Darcy's circle. Um, and also the implication that they struggled with their fertility, I think, is um, interesting. Because you don't really see it. Even when you go through those, those great classic families of Britain, you don't often even see that. You do usually go through, you can look up, you know, Wikipedia details, everything, or you can go on the DeBretts website and like look through these old family trees and you see these great families and they've got five, six, seven, eight kids, 10 kids. The wife dies in childbirth and the Duke remarries and has five more kids with the second wife before she dies in childbirth. And he marries again and has three more kids with the third wife. Like it's these huge families. So the idea that the Darcy's again, like just me being kind of weirdly obsessed with who they are. Um, they have, it seems that they have dwindled to just Fitzwilliam and Georgiana. Mm hmm. And so the implication in death for death comes to Pemberley that they're struggling with their fertility. To me, it's like it's Darcy. <laughs> like there's something it's in those genes. <laughs> there's something on his family tree because they've dwindled down mm-hmm. to just those two. Mm-hmm. And normally, a family like that, there'd be scads of cousins and siblings. And I mean, Bridgerton is a more realistic of a family like that that they would be prolific mm-hmm. um, because it's it's the pressure of the heir and the spare, but people infant mortality was real keep going have more kids because there's no guarantee that the oldest is going to make it or the second oldest is going to make it you need backups yeah Mm. um all right so double episode finances family tree and how and how that relates (laughs) because that's going to be very important for this relationship maybe he's so rich because they only had two children Oh, it's it's that actually doesn't matter because of the I way mean, entails work okay, so I'll back in those days, um, <laughs> which which is actually what's plaguing. It's what's plaguing the Bennets. That's why Mr. Collins is there. It's because he's going to inherit over the sisters everything lock, stock and barrel that's in the entail, which would be everything attached to essentially if there's a title, it's mm. everything attached to the title. If there's not a title, it's everything that's attached to the patriarch line. Um, so that would be Pemberley, any other estates the Darcy's own because they probably owned other estates, any l- property they had in London, any freeholds they might have held in London. Like even today, the biggest landowners in London are, um, I think it's the, the Duke of Westminster owns Westminster. <laughs> um, you know, so anything that's entailed sticks with the oldest mm. and goes down that line. And it's 
really hard to break entails. So even if you had a younger son or a daughter that you wanted to favor, you couldn't unless you had liquid cash that then you could settle like Mary King, 50,000 a year or 50,000 dowry. You know, that huge dowry that she has is her affectionate family leaving her this great sum. Interesting. Um, but yeah, it's, it wouldn't matter if they had six boys, like the eldest is always going to get everything. Yeah. Well, we're going to have this conversation. It's going to be fun. Well, I would love it. I mean, frankly, come back anytime you want this rules. <laughs> like, please. I hope that you'll come back and talk to us about Emma and the sure. complicated economics of Emma. No, it's, uh, it's in, I, like, I'm really, really hooked on um, the economics of Jane Austen because it was such a preoccupation for her in her life. If you read her letters, many of which are published, I mean, she's detailing to her brothers and her aunt and her cousins like she's detailing to basically or no, like, we spend this much on this we spend that much on that we're renting a house here for this much they just never weren't thinking about money mm-hmm. and yet what we consider poor today Jane Austen was not poor um, so it's this weird contradiction where money consumed so much of her time and you wonder what her art could have been if she'd had even a little bit more comfort where she just wasn't thinking about it that much, but it is such it's, and it's so prevalent in her stories and the stories where she doesn't want you to think about the economics. It's Emma where she open line, handsome, clever, and rich. And she makes it clear. There's no boy in this family. The family has died out. Emma is going to be the heiress of Hartwell. And that's literally because there's no one else. So now the entail doesn't matter because there's no one to inherit it. So, so her father can leave her that estate, but it's basically saying like, just don't think about it. This story is not actually about the economics. It's about this family friend relationship and about the, the boredom Mm. that young women face Mm. in this world and what trouble they get into because of it. But economics is all over Jane Austen's stories. I mean, there's a lot, like there's a lot of money talk that kind of goes over people's heads today because we don't really know what 10,000 a year means to us today. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's, I think he's a billionaire. I've kind of worked it out that Darcy's a billionaire. He's definitely going to space. Top of dick. Um, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it, it is when you read her works and it's like, it's persuasion again, you know, the whole reason that captain Wentworth was rejected was he didn't have any money or not even any money. He didn't have enough money because Sir Walter was so self-important that he felt that Anne should command a greater suitor than this sort of nobody pirate, (laughs) no great fortune. And then he goes to become a privateer, which is just licensed pirating. Um, and, and then he makes a ton of money and when he has the money, Oh, now he's acceptable. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh wait, did I say economics? I know I love that guy. (laughs) (laughs) yeah um but it is like the economics of jane austen really do fascinate and i'm gonna do some research on this because this sounds fun yeah yeah this will rule uh well thank you so much for being here uh sarah do you want to tell people where they can find you or you have anything you want to plug um you can find my writing largely on laneygossip.com i wrote about bridgerton a lot at decider.com so you can go back and read about that um, so far, no one's paying me to write about the economics of Jane Austen, Damn. but if anyone out there would pay me, I would write about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, and you can find me on Twitter at Cinesnark. 
Great. Thank you so much. Uh, and we're going to spare you all of the weird stuff that we record at the end, because who wants to listen to that? No. <laughs> and here we go. The, the, uh, the old outro. Uh, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podlandercast. You can find us on Twitter at podlandercast and also at sickburnjane. You can find us on Instagram at both of those handles too, at podlandercast, at sickburnjane, and also at podlanderpresents. We're really going for it, folks. Uh, you can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podlanderdrinkcast where you can support the show, um, get bonus episodes and Janine's Corner and Early Access and all kinds of fun things. We want to thank all of our patrons who make it possible for us to do the show because it's expensive and we literally could not do it without you. We especially want to thank the following generous, lovely folks with great hair. Just Bree, Mallory Smith, Catspaw156, Maddie Perkins, Snazinach, Lisa Briand, Julia Gulia, Kathleen Martini, Lauren Tennant, Kelsey Kemp, Madison Johnson, Emily Day, Betsy English, Caitlin Reddick, Ashley Teagison, Kristen Freckled, Fury, Laura Colm, Amelia Bazell, Liz and Tinkerbell, Stella Welch, Chrissy Shively, Claire Feeney, Rochelle LaFever, Heather Robbins, Jerry Hurdle, Emily Carlson, Amy Gustafson, Rachel Townsend, Steph Peterson, Kelly Mazella, Chantel Salters, Mary the Falling Statue, Tara Lucchino, Viv Pickles, aka Laura Mary of the Grapefruit Genital. Kowski, Ann Gibson, Ruth McCormick, Katie Carlo, Ruth McCormick, Kara Marlowe, good lord, Trish McCrary, Julie de Toit, Julie, tell me how your last name is pronounced, Jen Lander Drunklin, always a classic, Kelly Bowden, Amanda Newton, and as always, Kiki the Wise. Thank you all so much for your support. We will be back next week with more hot, hot 2005 PP content. Bye.